Hello, horror fanatics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Oh. oh. The, the horror. horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to our email address at oth at seriouslydecent.com. And you can visit our website at ohthehorrorpodcast.com to get all info, updated episodes, deets, social uh, media links, and, and the whatnots. The who's in my what's it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How's it going? It's a going. It is. Yeah. It's getting nice and warm out. Yeah. We uh we had like a day or two of spring. Yeah. And we went right into summer. Right into summer. Creative director uh, Dean Winchester becomes very indoorsy <laughs> during the summer. Just like he mom. Where the central uh, <laughs> central AC lives. Where we just lay in front of that nice cold air and we just bask in its beautifulness. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he is wearing a, a like a snowmobile suit, basically. Three sixty five. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting uh, thing with the last episode on Robert the Doll. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if you guys caught it, but so, we had our one and only. Only, yes. This is episode twenty three. Correct. So we went twenty one full episodes without any technical failures whatsoever. Right. Whatsoever. Right. Everything recorded fine, right. picked up fine. Yep. Some things picked up a little too fine. <laughs> you know. <sighs> You know, that stuff, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, creative director barking, HR meowing, you know. However, last episode, I'm going through, I'm doing the editing. I got my little routine, Mm -hmm. got everything uh, going. And you're part of the intro where you're mentioning the please rate review. The rate review, subscribe. Total silence. And I'm thinking, holy cow, it's all gone. And yeah. then you came back, and then I'm looking. I'm like, "Is this Robert the Doll right. giving us a little uh, a little screwiness? Is this I, what I'm dealing with I, the whole episode?" Do you get it now? Do you get why I'm like, "Fuck dolls"? No, it's just coincidence. Now, if the whole thing was fucky, <laughs> then yeah, yeah. You know, like every time we said Robert the Doll and it didn't come out or right, something yeah. like that, then. Then I'd be a little more inclined, but to be honest, it really is kind of a testament, number one, to the equipment we have in the setup. Yes. To do 22 episodes, hour and a half long, hour and 20 minutes a piece. yeah. With no issue whatsoever. whatsoever. It hasn't even been on the same equipment. We had our original equipment, and then we got the upgrade. Yep. Uh, so we had that original setup for, I want to say, three, four episodes. Yeah. And then that's when we moved over to the uh, the beefy setup. But I love this setup. It's nice. I mean, if you're doing it as much as we are, yeah. for those that are thinking about doing this and podcasting, it really is worth the investment to get good equipment. And good Definitely. equipment, I mean good microphones, mm-hmm. a good mixer, mm-hmm. and... Maybe some other things, but those are really the two yeah. things you can buy in. 
if you're interested about what we're using and you actually give a crap and there's tiny, you know, plenty of you that do give a crap about it, email us at OTH at seriously decent.com and we'll respond Happy in kind. Share. We'll share our yep. whole entire setup, how we do uh, the effects, how we do the editing. Just call it how we do all that dirty stuff. <laughs> However, today, yeah. the dirty stuff is Lizzie Borden. It is. And it's dirty. Well, it's not pretty. Well, you know what's interesting about this? It's literally one of the most famous murder cases in American criminal history. Correct. Without a doubt. That's actually my very first sentence. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, yeah. Before we get into it, I'll I'll do my sources. Okay. Uh, again, Wiki is the kind of guide to get me started mm-hmm. with things. I dabbled in uh, biography.com a little bit, and uh, famoustrials.com. I, Same thing? Excuse me. No, I uh-huh. went with smithsonianmag.org. Mm-hmm. I just, I too was looking at the trials. I was trying to find specifically, like, um, the the testimony and, yeah. and the whatnots. If, but- we had, if we had more time in this, and I always say that with every single one, <laughs> but I wouldn't mind revisiting this if I could actually get the trial stuff, but it was a long trial. It took it a couple was. weeks. Yeah. And the amazing part is, is this still remains like surrounded in mystery. There was no closure on it. No. I mean, the case was never solved and wow. it's really got a, it's a case that has literally an unlimited amount of perspectives for both guilt and innocence. Yeah. You could read a ton, especially on the internet. Yeah. The internet, it's just loaded with both sides. Yeah. There's people that just completely profess that she's innocent. Yep. There's people that say no fucking way. Yep. The the real tough part of this, I think at the end of the day, which we'll get into further stuff, but mm-hmm. it was the lack of physical evidence that really brought this to a turn. Well, no, I'm saying in a court of law. Correct. Court yes. of law, yes. the, not the court of opinion, not the court right. of the town, and not right. the, yeah. not our court that we're going to hold today. Yeah, because I'm a, I'm team guilty. Oh, I'm team guilty too. Yeah, and I'll I'll throw my reasons out, but but here's the thing: if you and I were on a trial with this, you can't you can't be team guilty. There's no physical evidence to it. And at, eventually, at the end of the day, when you're in a murder case, yeah, you need physical evidence to tie it to a person. You could have all this hearsay in the world towards it, but without either like a rock solid, you know, just like a flat out confession, but there's just no physical evidence at all. Well, I also think the fact that the murder occurred in 1892 and they didn't even go back to the house to collect and test things. Well, the tough for part too was until two days later. Also, didn't help. The tough part: very affluent family. Well, yes, yes, very affluent. Yes. So, money talks. I guess. Murderers walk. Keeps. It. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to get this rolling? So or? my introduction to the story was the children's rhyme. Lizzie Borden took yeah. an axe, gave her mother forty wax. When she, when she saw what she had done, she gave her father forty one. Mm-hmm. Not true. Um. No. Uh. Turns out. And that's when I learned that she had been 
accused of the brutal murder of what I thought were her actual parents, mm-hmm. but I would later learn it was, yes, her father, yeah. but her stepmother. Stepmother, yeah. Um, Which kind of, okay, if we're going to go there. Split hairs, yeah. The stepmother, if you go into the stepmother theory, mm-hmm. like, she's the villain in just about every old Disney movie. Yeah, Disney didn't Think really Lady treat. Lady Tremaine. You know, people want to talk about how a certain group has gotten offended and stuff like that. And I'm not going <laughs> to yeah, I'm not right? going to camp yeah. on this topic much cuz no. it drives me crazy. However, Disney really really ruined the whole stepmother thing. Sure did. I think porn's trying to fix it. <laughs> I think that's, you know, so kind of So what do you the, think porn's success rate is? I don't know. We'd have to talk to some stepmothers cuz <laughs> Because if they're mending the bridges, quote unquote, <laughs> doing then, the Lord's work, <laughs> then they've yeah, then they've pushed uh, they've pushed Disney right out of the way. But yeah, Disney's pretty cruel on stepmothers. Yeah, they're wicked in the films, the Disney oh, yeah. films and stories. Yeah, I mean, it started right off with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right out of the gate. Oh yeah, yeah. And I didn't have a stepmother. No, me neither. Nope. Nope. And later on in life, I maybe technically did, but it was just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 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 No. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> I got right into, while there is no doubt that Lizzie Borden committed the murders, mm-hmm. the rhyme isn't actually accurate. I mean, shocker. No. 64-year-old Abby, the stepmother, it was a hatchet that was used, yeah. not an axe. And fewer than half the blows of the rhyme were actually delivered to the victims. 19 fell on Abby, and 10 more rendered 69-year-old Andrew's face unrecognizable. Mm -hmm. Still, the rhyme does accurately record the sequence of the murders, which took place approximately an hour and a half apart on the morning of August 4th. It's pretty crazy. Hour and a half apart. It's a long time. Well, you got to get your affairs in order. You know, she whacked her 19 times. We'll we'll get to that. (laughs) What's what's Lizzie's background? Uh, Lizzie's crimes lie in um, the town where she grew up, which was Fall River, Massachusetts. It's a textile mill town 50 miles south of Boston. Fall River was rocked not only by the brutality of the crime, but also by who their victims were. Also at this time, cultural, religious, class, ethnic, and gender divisions in the town shaped the debates over Lizzie's guilt or innocence and Mm. drew the whole country into the case. Yeah. I think the biggest issue was the fact that the police could even say that a woman, let alone this Church going, God fearing. Yeah, no. Was she taught Sunday school to children yeah. of uh, like Chinese immigrants yeah. at her church and member of the Temperance Union? And oh, yes. you know, it existed to address domestic abuse and violence and mm-hmm. you know, caused by substance abuse. And, and she believed in the whole women's suffrage the, movement. She sure and, did. And let's you know. not rule out the fact that the Irish were looked on as kind of, you know, a less than Oh, not group. kind of. 
They were. And they were making their way into the police force. Mm-hmm. So here are these people that are... Second-class citizens, we'll exactly. call Exactly. But they're members her. of the police force. They yep. run the town. They got yep. these power positions. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Definitely an interesting dynamic there. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't great. So in the early hours after the discovery of the bodies, people only knew that the assassins struck the victims at home in broad daylight on a busy street one block from the city's business district. There was no evident motive. You know, no robbery or sexual assault. Yeah, or no anything, foul play or anything. Nothing like that. of that nature. And neighbors and passersby heard nothing. Mm-hmm. No one saw a suspect enter or leave the Borden property. Yeah. So, guilty. <laughs> oh my gosh. She was the only one there. Okay. Well, no. Well, yeah. It's not the, technically true. No, I mean, family wise. Um, moreover, Andrew Borden was no ordinary citizen. Mm-mm. Like other Fall River Bordens, he possessed wealth and standing. He had invested in mills, banks, and real estate. And Andrew never made a show of his good fortune. He lived in a modest house on an unfashionable street instead of on the hill, which was Fall River's lofty. It was it was their um, Beverly Hills, if you will. Yeah. And when when she was born, her mother, Sarah, passed away pretty soon after she was born. I mean, not soon, like within minutes or anything like that. No, no. It was a short time. And then Andrew, the father, remarried three years later to Abby. Right. The stepmother. Yep. And they did live well, but but it was definitely a lot toned down more than what they were worth. Correct. And and I, I don't even think they had electricity or anything like that. And they were a family that could have it. That was something I read. Well, you know what we should do. What's that? You know the Lizzie Borden house yeah. is a bed and breakfast. That's not the house she grew up in, though. Well, then that's false the, advertising. Is no, it the house that she bought after? That's what I'm under. That's what I believe it was. Yeah. Okay. It's the house she bought after. So 32-year-old Lizzie, who lived at home, longed to reside on the hill, and she knew her father could afford to move away from, you know, a neighborhood increasingly dominated by Catholic immigrants. And this was at a time of prejudice against Catholics and the Irish, Mm -hmm. and she wanted better. So police initially considered the murders a male crime, probably committed by a quote-unquote foreigner. So within a few hours of the murders, police arrested their first suspect, an innocent Portuguese immigrant. Likewise, Lizzie had absorbed elements of the city's rampant nativism. On the day of the murders, Lizzie claimed that she came into the house from the barn and discovered her father's body. She yelled for the Borden's 26-year-old Irish servant, Bridget Maggie Sullivan, who was resting in her third-floor room. She told Maggie that she needed a doctor and sent the servant across the street to the family physician's house. He was not at home. Lizzie then told Maggie to get a friend from down the street. Yet Lizzie never sent the servant to the Irish immigrant doctor who lived right next door 
and he had an impressive educational background and served as Fall River's city physician, nor did Lizzie seek the help of a French-Canadian doctor who lived diagonally behind the Bordens. Only a Yankee doctor would suffice. Mm -hmm. So these same divisions played into keeping Lizzie off the suspect list initially. She was, after all, like we said, a Sunday school teacher at her wealthy central congregational church, and people of her class could not accept that a person like Lizzie would or could slaughter her parents. Mm -hmm. During the interrogation, Lizzie's answers to different police officers varied. So add this to her inability to summon a single tear aroused the police's suspicion. Then an officer discovered that Lizzie had tried to purchase deadly prussic acid a day before the murders in a nearby drugstore. So another piece of the story is how as Fall River's immigrant population surged, more Irishmen turned to policing. And on the day of the murders, Irish police were among the dozen or so who took control of the Borden house and property. Some interviewed Lizzie. One even had the audacity to interrogate her in her bedroom, which was, it was inconceivable. Yeah. yeah. And Lizzie was not used to being held uh, held to account by people she considered beneath her. Probably anyone. If, yeah. If the whole thing went the way it's claimed to go down. Yeah. True. True. The Lizzie Borden case quickly became a flashpoint in an Irish insurgency in the city. The shifting composition of the police force, combined with the election of the city's second Irish mayor, Dr. John Coughlin, were all pieces of a challenge to native-born control. So Coughlin's newspaper, Fall River Globe, was a militant, working-class Irish daily that assailed mill owners. Soon after the murders, it focused its class combativeness on Lizzie's guilt. Among other things, it promoted rumors that Bordens on the Hill were pooling millions to ensure that Lizzie would never be convicted. By contrast, the Hill's native paper, the Fall River Evening News, defended Lizzie's innocence. There was a lot of people that defended her. Oh, yeah. Oh, a yeah. There were quite a few people that defended her. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, because she was a woman. Well, I think it was a variety of things. Long pause. No. Yeah. I no, I think it was a lot of things. I I, I think also back in those days, and this is just gonna be me blowing smoke into the wind here. I'm making a just a massive assumption. <laughs> I don't think people would have realized a woman would have been capable of such a crime. Right. And it was brutal. And Let's it was a brutal honest. crime. I mean, where yeah. like now we look at there's that whole uh what was it, Travis Alexander and Jody Aris? Jody Aris? Arias. Or Arias, yeah, mm -hmm. where she stabbed that guy in the shower like 25, 30 times or something like that and then shot him in the head. I mean, and, and she was a small, small woman, you know. It's yeah. possible. You know, everybody yeah. says, you know, all women, and, and it's statistically true, women will try to go for a very passive like, yeah, we're poisoning or, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, they have, say that poison is the woman's, have somebody push them off, woman's uh, weapon. You know, have yeah. somebody else do it. But yeah. the Jody Ares thing, I mean, that's, oh, wait, I got it right up here. Uh, 27 to 29 knife wounds and a shot, uh, a gunshot to the head. 
He fell on her knife 27 times. 27 times. At gravity, art thou a bitch? Yeah. Yeah. So. But I get where people would see that, you know, her bit in the community. Mm -hmm. I bet teaching Sunday school certainly helped. Mm -hmm. Like if she wasn't attending church. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Because there's still that whole wealthy angle. Yeah, I think people, too, also, you had these wealthy people that were in towns, and they had a lot of control. They sure did. I think people don't understand that yeah. growing up today. And I'm, I'm going to just talk about America for a second. I, I don't know the other countries and what that would relate to. But right. a wealthy family, so to speak, their only thing that they're really going to have a head jump on, I mean, definitely legal stuff. If, mm-hmm. if a kid does something stupid, they could just throw... An awesome attorney on it yeah, and they can get them throw through, money at the problem. You know, or if your dad's it. like a town supervisor, yeah, you know, people are just going to be a little rubbernecky for him, you know, and mm-hmm. just be be uh, more compliant of just like, well, you know, it's them. What well, what are we going to do? Okay, again, you know that back type of thing to Hollywood. Think of how the crux of most movies Mm -hmm. they have the one guy who especially the old westerns yeah yeah the one guy who owns the town yeah like he's got he literally owns like all the land yeah yeah you know usually by fighting against him a gene hackman like character correct yes correct i mean i built this town let's get into uh I watched it in Roadhouse. I was gonna. Last say, night. I was trying yeah. to say, what was that guy's name in yeah. Roadhouse? Um, let's see. There was there was Dalton, who was the cooler. Wade Garrett was the other cooler. Brad Wesley. Wesley. Yeah, yeah. There it is. I watched it yesterday while I was typing these notes. Nice. Or not yesterday, the day before. Very nice. Hmm. Hmm. So five days after the murders, authorities convened an inquest and Lizzie took the stand each day. The inquest was the only time she would testify in court under oath. Even more than the heap of inconsistencies that police compiled, Lizzie's testimony led her into a briar patch of seeming self-incrimination. Lizzie did not have a defense lawyer during the closed inquiry, but... She was not without defenders. The family doctor, who staunchly believed in Lizzie's innocence, testified that after the murders, he prescribed a double dose of morphine to help her sleep. Its side effects, he claimed, could account for Lizzie's confusion. Her 41-year-old spinster sister, Emma, who also lived at home, claimed that the sisters harbored no anger toward their stepmother. Mm -hmm. Yet the police investigation and the family and neighbors who gave interviews to newspapers suggested otherwise. With her sister Emma, 15 miles away, on vacation, Lizzie and Bridget Sullivan were the only ones left at home with Abby once Andrew left on his business, his morning business rounds. Bridget Sullivan being the maid. Bridget was the maid. Bridget Maggie. Mm -hmm. So Bridget was outside washing windows when Abby was slaughtered in the second floor guest bedroom. Andrew Borden was bludgeoned in the first floor sitting room shortly after his return while the servant was resting in her attic bedroom. There was like an hour, hour and a half, yep. half between the between two. Between the two. So unable determined. to account consistently for Lizzie's movements, the judge, district attorney, and police marshal determined that Lizzie was probably guilty, in quotes. 
Lizzie was arrested on August 11th, one week after the murders. The judge sent Lizzie to the county jail, and this privileged suspect found herself confined to a cheerless nine and a half by seven and a half foot cell for the next nine months. Mm -hmm. Lizzie's arrest provoked an uproar that quickly became national. Women's groups rallied to Lizzie's defense, especially the Women's Christian Temperance Union and suffragists. Lizzie's supporters protested that at trial she would not be judged by a jury of her peers because women, as non-voters, did not have the right to serve on juries. Lizzie could afford the best legal representation throughout her ordeal. During the preliminary hearing, one of Boston's most prominent defense lawyers joined the family attorney to advocate for her innocence. The small courtroom above the police station was packed with Lizzie's supporters, particularly women from the Hill. At times, they were buoyed by testimony, at others unsettled. For example, a Harvard chemist reported that he found no blood on two axes and two hatchets that police retrieved from the cellar. Lizzie had turned over to the police two days after the murders the dress she allegedly wore on the morning of August 4th and that only had a minuscule spot of blood on the hem. Her attorneys stressed that the prosecution offered no murder weapon and possessed no bloody clothes. As to the prussic acid, Lizzie was a victim of misidentification, they claimed. In addition, throughout the Borden saga, her legion of supporters was unable to consider what they saw as culturally inconceivable. A well-bred, virtuous Victorian woman a quote-unquote Protestant nun, to use the words of the national president of the WCTU, could never commit patricide. The reference to the Protestant nun raises the issue of the growing numbers of native-born women in the late 19th century New England who remained single. The research of women historians has documented how the label spinster obscured the diverse reasons why women remained single. For some, the ideal of virtuous Victorian womanhood was unrealistic, even oppressive. It defined the quote-unquote true woman as morally pure, physically delicate, and socially respectable. Preferably, she married and had children. But some women saw new educational opportunities and self-supporting independence as an attainable goal. So nearly all of the so-called Seven Sisters Colleges were founded between the 1870s and 1890s, and four of which were in Massachusetts. So there's this big woman's movement where, you know. Yeah, you know, that's where I, I read that Smithsonian link, and I kind of, I had to I had to pull away from it because it was a little too, I'm going to say it for what it is. Burn me alive if you want it. It was a little wokish. Oh, it's definitely I'm, and I'm being wokish. polite on this. And it was written July 23rd, 2019. So, yeah. my whole problem with it is this. I'm just going to say it okay. right now. The whole patriarchy of, you know, and the whole attack against women and the yeah. whole deal, you look forever in history and I could bring up the examples. Wealthy women didn't have to marry and they didn't. didn't. That was way before Yep. Now it was yep. way before eighteen late eighteen hundreds yep. and early nineteen hundreds when this was going on. The Blood Countess was a great example of a chick who just did whatever the hell she wanted to, whenever she wanted, whenever she wanted to, because she was wealthy. Marie the family Delphine was La Lurie. exactly yeah, and and that's where I had a hard time with that article. 
and where I really had a hard time with the article is she didn't get convicted guilty. Yeah, exactly. So they're creating they're they're going like, on they're to creating this a, whole thing this about- whole tangent that she's a victim when she was at the house. She was yes. the only one at the house. Aside from the she's servant. Yep. Bull, she's got bullshit excuses, which we'll yeah. get into that oh, later. Yeah. But and she and she's fine. Yeah. She, not guilty. No. Acquitted of all the charges. Yep. And proceeds to move on. Yep. And she sure and, and that's boy where I, does she move on. And that's where I had a hard time with some of those articles. And I looked at the date and it was always like twenty nineteen or later. And it's yep. like, okay, I get it. Oh yeah. There's a message. There's yes. a framework that everybody's got to throw at these histories, you know, these historical stories. They kind of get rid of that toxic masculinity. Yeah, that whole toxic masculinity. But the fact is, is what happened to her? Nothing. Nothing. I'm going to tell you what happened to her. This might be jumping ahead, but Go the ahead. fact is, is after the standing trial, she was acquitted of the murders on June 20th, 1890. Was it 1893 or I think that's what it was. No, that doesn't make sense. She was born in 1890, right? No, 1892 was when. The, oh, yeah, yeah. The murders occurred. So, so later that year, Lizzie and her full uh, her full sister Emma, and in, in the family yeah. born from the same mother, used a portion of their inheritance. You ready for this? Estimated to be three hundred thousand yep. dollars, which is eight point two million dollars now. Yep. And they went the two girls. Yep. No men. No. Nope. Not married purchased a 13-room home in that most, like, affluent part of their hometown in Fall River, yes, Massachusetts. Yes, they bought a home in the hills. That's so oppressed. Oh, oh my yes. God. Yes. Show me the oppression. Yep. Oh, it's terrible, you know. So, as to the Borden <laughs> sisters, Emma fit the stereotype of a spinster, whatever that means. Mm. So, on her deathbed, their mother made Emma promise that she would look after baby Lizzie. So she seems to have devoted her life to her younger sister. Yeah. Um, Lizzie, though not a reformer of the class social ills of her era, like Lizzie was, she um, acquired the public profile of Fall River's most prominent Protestant nun. Unlike Emma, Lizzie was engaged in varied religious and social activities from the WCTU to the Christian Endeavor which supported Sunday schools, and she also served on the board of the Fall River Hospital. So Lizzie's doing stuff, and Emma's just, essentially, I'm, you know, her father's older, stepmother's mm-hmm. also older. I'm sure she was probably just looking after everyone. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. So at the preliminary hearing, Lizzie's defense attorney delivered a rousing closing argument and her partisans erupted into loud applause. It was to no avail. The judge determined she was probably guilty and should remain jailed until a superior court trial. Neither the attorney general, who typically prosecuted capital crimes, nor the district attorney a district attorney were eager to haul Lizzie into superior court, though both believed in her guilt. There were holes in the police's evidence, and while Lizzie's place in the local order was unassailable, her arrest had also provoked a groundswell of support. So though he did not have to, the district attorney brought the case before a grand jury in November. Yeah, He was not sure he would secure an indictment. 23 jurors convened to hear the case on the charges of murder. They adjourned with no action. Then the grand jury reconvened on December 1st and heard dramatic testimony. 
Alice Russell, who was a single, pious, 40-year-old member of Central Congregational, that's the church where Lizzie went and taught Sunday school, and was Lizzie's closest friend. Shortly after Andrew had been killed, Lizzie sent Bridget Maggie Sullivan to summon Alice, and Alice had slept in the Borden house for several nights after the murders, <laughs> with the brutalized victims stretched out on mortician boards in the dining room. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, walk past the, the dead bodies on your way into the kitchen to get your breakfast. It's a lot of weird. Yeah. No. But, of course, like, during that time, I don't know how things were dealt with. Yeah. I'm being naive it's, in that. You know, bit, I probably, you know, I, had I had the foresight, I would have looked into, like, you know, you know police procedures standard in the operating 1890s. procedure yeah. was yeah yeah so russell had testified at the inquest the preliminary hearing and earlier before the grand jury but she had never disclosed one important detail distressed over her omission she consulted a lawyer who said she had to tell the district attorney and on december 1st russell returned to the grand jury she testified that on the sunday morning after the murders lizzie pulled a dress from a shelf in the pantry closet and proceeded to burn it in the cast iron coal stove the grand jury indicted lizzie the next day still the attorney general and the district attorney dragged their feet the attorney general bowed out of the case in april he had been sick and his doctor conveniently said that he could not withstand the demands of the board and trial in his place, he chose a district attorney from north of Boston to co-prosecute with Hosea Knowlton, the Bristol County district attorney, who emerged as the trial's profile and courage. Knowlton mm -hmm. believed in Lizzie's guilt, but realized there were long odds against con conviction. Yet, he was convinced he had a duty to prosecute and did so with skill and passion exemplified by his five-hour closing argument. A leading New York reporter who believed in Lizzie's innocence wrote that the district attorney's eloquent appeal to the jury entitles him to rank with the ablest advocates of the day. Knowlton thought a hung jury was within his grasp. It might satisfy both those convinced Lizzie was innocent and those persuaded of her guilt. If new evidence emerged, Lizzie could then be retried. Yeah. The district attorney perhaps underestimated the legal and cultural impediments he faced. Lizzie's demeanor in court, which District Attorney Knowlton perhaps failed to fully anticipate, also surely influenced the outcome. Here lies a gender paradox of Lizzie's trial. In a courtroom where men reserved all the legal power, Lizzie was not a helpless maiden. She only needed to present herself as one. Her lawyers told her to dress in black. She appeared in court, tightly corseted, dressed in flowing clothes, holding a bouquet of flowers in one hand and a fan in the other. And one newspaper described her as quiet, modest, and well-bred. Because clearly, if you're quiet, modest, and well-bred, you can't kill somebody. No, no. Far from the brawny, big, muscular, hard-faced, coarse-looking girl <laughs> who could kill her parents. Another stress that she lacked Amazonian proportions, what the fuck? What, is that? what does that have to do with anything? So she's not Wonder Woman. Okay. Uh, okay. Neither am I. Mm. But. Neither is Jody with, Aries. With the know. proper weapons. I'm not even going to go with proper <laughs> weapons. It's just proper motivation. Yeah. And that's where, you know, are you close to the 
the finish here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She cannot possess the physical strength, let alone the moral degeneracy, to Mm -hmm. wield a weapon with skull-cracking force. Yeah. I want to live on the hill. Okay. Um, Moreover, with her father's money in hand, Lizzie could afford the best legal team to defend her, including a former Massachusetts governor who had appointed one of the three justices who would preside over the case, and that justice delivered a slanted charge to the jury, which one major newspaper described as a plea for the innocent. The justices took other actions that stymied the prosecution, excluding testimony about prussic acid because the prosecution had not refuted that the deadly poison might be used for innocent purposes. Finally, the jury itself presented the prosecution with a formidable hurdle. Fall River was excluded from the jury pool, which was thus tilted toward the county's small, heavily agricultural towns. Good for you. I did it. Good for you. So half of the jurors were farmers. Others were tradesmen. One owned a metal factory in New Bedford, and most were practicing Protestants, some with daughters approximately Lizzie's age. A sole Irishman made it through the jury selection process. Not surprisingly, the jury quickly decided to acquit her. Then they waited an hour or so so that it would appear that they had not made a hasty decision. Again, that's that's the revealing thing that got me with the whole, you know, the oppressed person and all that. They instantly came up with the decision, but they're like, you know what, we got to wait this out. Yeah. Because we want to at least look like we deliberated on this. We want to at least make a good show of it. And yeah. Yeah. The courtroom audience, the bulk of the press, and the women's groups cheered Lizzie's acquittal, but her life was altered forever. Good. You know who else's life was altered forever? Andrew Borden and Abby Borden. So two months after the innocent verdict, Lizzie and Emma moved to a large Victorian house on the hill, Mm -hmm. yet many people there and in the central congregational church shunned her. Good. Well, and here's the the thing I got to laugh at. So you just... Basically forged up $8.2 million. Yep. It's you and your sister. Yep. And the whole town, you've been in the last two years with this crazy case mm-hmm. of you murdering your father and your stepmother. Mm-hmm. Where you're hearing everybody saying you do it and you got this group that says yep. you didn't. Why would you live in the same town? Because the whole time she's complaining. Because she's entitled. No, but what I'm getting at is is while, while, yeah. while she was complaining her whole life that they needed to move into the affluent yeah. deal. You know, this is things that people need to think about. Like, why would you Why would you stay there? Yeah. She could go anywhere in the world. Yep. She can go anywhere in the U.S. at that time. Absolutely. And she stayed right in the same town sure where did. all that happened. Like, to me, yeah, I just look at that as a... Great big... Great big fuck you to the to the whole town, all of them. Oh yeah, and you know it is crazy. I mean, it's sad in in a way because I mean the community never really did any acceptance. You know the whole stigma attached, and and then I found I didn't know what you saw in your research or reading, but she actually it appears to be a habitual shoplifter. Oh yeah, four years after her um. Acquittal, a warrant was issued for her arrest in Providence. She was charged with shoplifting and apparently made restitution. Well, and there was others that claimed mm-hmm. that she did it often. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, growing up as a kid and 
throughout her life. Yep. And again, this is where, it, again, people would sit there and say, well, how? why would somebody do that? Well, there was that celebrity, I'm not going to name names, that stole shoes. <laughs> Wait, didn't she steal more than that? I don't know, but she stole a lot of shoes. And people were... Uh, Winona? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, I thought she was stealing, like, clothes clothes, not just Probably. shoes. Probably. I, I, You know me. I don't follow that shit. You I know. know. But, but the fact is, is, like, they moved... Uh, they moved away, but then in 1905, the sister Emma, where they were pretty much inseparable, it sounded like. Yeah, she and Emma. She had... abruptly moved out of the house that they shared together, and Correct. they never spoke Saw again. Each other again, yeah. She and Emma had a falling out in 1904. Emma left the house in 1905, and evidently the sisters never saw each other yeah. again. Some and claim there that it was rumors. Rumors that. that Emma, Emma was learned. comfortable with Lizzie's close friendship with another woman. Uh, I also read that, um, which was Nance O'Neill. Lizzie had actually given Emma the deets that, yeah, she had I think, killed the parents. I think that's, you know, because her silence on the issue, it fuels a lot of speculation that she learned new details about yep. the murders yep. and all that. and. And no member of the household staff ever offered additional information on no. the rift. No. Even following Lizzie's death. No. Um, where Lizzie died of pneumonia in Fall River, Massachusetts. Born there. Died yep. there. June 1st, 1927. Yep. And uh, Emma died nine days later. In, in Newmarket. Yep. New Hampshire, where she hightailed off to. And they were both interred next to their father. Yeah. Which... I really hope Andrew Borden was like, what the actual hell? You buried her next to me, so I'm hoping that he got yeah. to torment her well, there's a lot in of, her afterlife. There's a lot of theories and weird facts around this. And that's where I dove into the rabbit All hole. All right. Because of lay, the story. Lay your theories on me. The stories are, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing that we just kind of went through, that's the kind of core stuff that everybody's kind of heard about. But what's curious is the murder weapon was never found. There's a story of a half-brother who the father never publicly acknowledged, acknowledged, and it was never looked into. So there's this alternate theory that the half-brother came in and killed him. Came in and killed him because he was pissed off at all this happening and he wasn't yeah not being a part of it and um and basically without a doubt without a shadow of a doubt the savagery of the murders would definitely point to a very personal motive yes irregardless of what yes. anybody thinks this yep. wasn't no. this wasn't an accident no this wasn't a you know this i was, was playing you know i was cooking and did something stupid and boom mm -hmm. knife in the chest <laughs> <laughs> but but they so, so one theory is the half brother. Okay, and we'll keep that on the. We'll table that for a second. There's claims of sexual assault of Andrew Borden on the family's maid. So we'll table that for a second. Okay. So, this gets into the uh, the whole deal, and I love this uh, uh, the famoustrials.com thing. You have basically like these fourteen reasons uh, to believe Lizzie murdered her parents. Okay. And I think you got to go through it this way because it, 
It reveals some things. If it's not her, then who? Exactly. That's the million dollar question. And it really could be anyone. The father could have pissed someone off and they could have just went through, you know, but only Lizzie had a good opportunity to commit the murders. Yeah. At the time of the mother's murder, around 9.30 a.m., household guest John Morse was visiting relatives. Mm -hmm. So he's gone. Yep. Sister Emma, out of town. On vacation, yep. Andrew Borden was running errands around the town. Yep. And the maid, Bridget Sullivan, was outside washing windows. Yep. So only Lizzie was known to be in the house, and she confesses to this. Yeah. Says that she's at the house at the time of Abby Borden's murder. And to commit both murders, Andrew Borden was murdered at around 11 a.m. An outside intruder would have had to hide in the house for 90 minutes. Yes. Or departed and returned without being seen. Correct. So the timing there, I mean, oh, yeah. we honestly could just stop right, right there. there. Yep. Again, no physical evidence, but the fact is, is you have the stepmother who died at 930 mm-hmm. and then... What did this person do for an hour and a half? Did they wait outside? Did they wait? Why would they wait if there was a bloody victim up on top and Lizzie Borden's hanging out at the house? Yeah. Why would you run that risk? Exactly. Yeah. So police also found no signs of forced entry at the residence. And it was noted that the Bordens habitually locked their doors and nothing appeared to have been stolen. Right. No stranger was uh, seen ever entering or leaving the Borden house on the morning of the murders. Correct. And this is where I love this famous trials bit because it was actually from, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely drop his name, uh, Professor Douglas O. Uh, Linder. Got it. And it's from, basically, he's like a professor of law. The so only thing so that, there's a lot of care in this from a lawyer's perspective is, is what I'm saying. the lawyer's name was Seamus McGillicuddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? But this is where... Like, this yeah. is the type of stuff I like to gather. You know, there's Susie Button's blog and whoever's right. blog. And, yeah. And it's like, yeah, I get it. You probably did a lot day. of research and you had a lot of it, but I'd rather take somebody that's, I, I'm not really a big fan of the educators of the, of the world today, but, yeah. but in this case, there's care from a law perspective. Yes. Lizzie claimed to have been downstairs at the very time her mother was violently murdered upstairs. Yeah. She literally claims and says this. And and then she said she heard no alarming noises. This, you know, despite her mother having been struck multiple times with an axe and fallen to the floor. Nah, didn't, yeah, didn't she hear didn't anything. hear a thing. This sounds like someone who gets away with, with everything. everything. Yeah. It really does. And She's the spoiled, rotten baby of the family who has gotten Every stinking single thing she's ever wanted, it, except the house on the hill. <laughs> Malibu Barbie. Barbie. What exactly. about Debbie? Yes. So August 3rd, the day before the murders, witnesses identified Lizzie visiting Smith's drugstore in Fall River. She attempted to procure this poison that people talk about, prussic right. acid. Yep. She explained that she needed the acid to clean a seal skin cape. Which, it can be used for that. Right. However, the drugstore refused to sell the prussic acid. Mm-hmm. Table that. The night before the murders, Lizzie visited a neighbor, Alice Russell, and told her that she feared that some unidentified em- enemy of her father's might soon try to kill him. 
So here's an interesting part of that. Yeah. She comes and says that. Why would she stay in the house while she there's yeah. a murderer on the loose? Yeah. Why would she stay there? Go meet up with your sister. Yeah, or just go somewhere else. Anywhere, anywhere else. else. But why How stay? About her BFF saying two days later she burned the the dress. I'm getting to that. Oh, okay. So Lizzie told police that while she was alone in the house with her mother on the morning of the murder, a messenger came to the door with a note summoning her mother to visit a sick friend. Lizzie told people that she assumed her mother had left. But despite a thorough search of the Borden home, no alleged note was ever found. So again, this is... Shocker. This is the whole, like, they're just... Too many weird things are missing mm-hmm. and too many weird things are happening. When you start piling all this together, it's tough to walk away from it. Yeah. When Bridget Sullivan came back inside after finishing washing the windows, that was around 1030 a.m. Mm-hmm. She reported hearing a muffled laugh coming from upstairs. She assumed it was Lizzie making the noise. Lizzie denied being upstairs during this time period between her mother's murder and her father's murder. Mm-hmm. Of course she'd deny it. Sure. But 1030 is a pretty key time there because the mother's already Already dead. dead. Yeah. So who's making the laugh? And if she assumed it was her. Yeah. Then they're the only two people. They're the only two people in the house. And she would probably know what Lizzie's laugh sounds like compared to other people's. Yes. So at the time of the murder of Andrew Borden later on. Lizzie claimed to have been in the loft of the backyard barn for 15 to 20 minutes looking for lead sinkers for a fishing outing. Mm-hmm. Sure Lizzie claimed to have been in the loft. Uh, you know, she, she claimed to have been there 15, 20 minutes. The police found the loft so stifling hot that it was difficult to believe that anyone would voluntarily remain in such a place for as much as 20 minutes. Exactly. They also found no footprints in the loft that could substantiate the story. Her being up there. Correct. So the additional part, Lizzie had a strained relationship with her stepmother, Mm -hmm. and they usually ate their meals separately. Yes. All the time. They never ate together. No. And some theorized that Lizzie resented the fact that her father transferred the Falls property to Abby's sister rather than to her. Yep. And police noted that during the in- her interview, and Lizzie insisted that Abby be described as her stepmother and not her mother. Mm-hmm. So, although Lizzie appeared to have a somewhat better relationship with her distant and forbidding father, there were problems there as well. Lizzie was outraged, for example, when her father beheaded pigeons in the barn loft. This is a, a weird story. I doubt that. For which uh, she had built uh, a roost. And her father thought the pigeons attracted neighborhood boys who broke into the barn to hunt the pigeons. It's the stupidest story I've I've ever heard heard in my life. life. It's just dumb stuff after dumb stuff. Mm -hmm. In the week before the murders, following an apparent family argument, Lizzie and her sister, sister Emma left Fall River by coach for New Bedford. When Lizzie returned, she chose to stay in a rooming house for four days rather than live in her own, uh, room in the family residence. Yep. And in 1891, cash and jewelry were stolen from the master bedroom in the Borden home. It was an open secret that Lizzie was suspected as being a thief. Mm -hmm. And Lizzie also had been accused by several local merchants of shoplifting. 
Mm-hmm. And this is where they say, like, yeah, you know, murder is far different than stealing. But it really just suggests that she's not this model person that they projected out. Correct. Like the, the woman of the church and, and all of this other stuff. She what did she this other the shit. Pigeons? That's that's where I'm tabling all this because I got a theory. Okay. And <laughs> And immediately after the discovery of her parents' bodies... Lizzie sent various persons who came to help off on various errands. Yep. And it just seems strange that a woman who would choose to remain alone in a house if she thought a murderer still might be near about on the loose. Yeah. That was what I was saying earlier. Yeah. And then on August 7th, three days after the murders, Alice Russell observed Lindsay burning a blue corduroy dress mm-hmm. in a kitchen fire. And when asked about it, Lizzie explained that she chose to destroy the dress because it was stained with old paint. Yep. So here's my here's my deal on all this. Okay. There was definitely a high probability that Lindsay Lizzie. Or Lizzie knowingly committed the murders. Yes. Or she knew who did. Yes. That's what I'm going with. These yeah. one of two yep. angles. I just don't see it where she's innocent. I don't see it. No. There's a ton of circumstantial evidence, but the lack of physical evidence, that's what had to overcome the reasonable doubt. If if Lizzie did commit the murders, you gotta ask yourself, what made her snap? What triggered the action of a crime? Because if you look at this as a whole, it's an act of passion. Massive passion. Yeah. So something had to happen for the snap. Right. There was a buildup. Yep. But definitely there was a snap. She obviously hated the stepmother. She did hate the stepmother. And there are references to the fact that she especially was pissed that her father seemed to be funneling a lot of their wealth to Abby's family. Yeah. Yeah. Which, if you're looking to buy a house on the hill, you can't have your money going to the stepmother's family. Or just exist. And this gets back to what we were talking about earlier, where I got pissed off about the whole victim role. Oh, yeah. It's like she is from a loaded family. Yes, exactly. Loaded. There is nothing oppressed about this girl at all. Exactly. And they're loaded. So why is she stealing? Why is she shoplifting? She's stealing because she needs something to fucking do. She needs something interesting. Everything's just... So you're saying being a Sunday school teacher is not enough? (laughs) That that's not exciting and No, but some need the thrill of that. Some need a thrill of some kind. And actually shoplifting is something that a lot of people do to get that thrill. It's not uncommon at all. You know, She um, clearly had not discovered laudanum yet. <laughs> but the but the thing is is like if if there was an accomplice who would that have been yeah and they don't really dive into that and of course maybe they were focused too much on her and but they didn't see the obvious the thing. thing but the fact is is if you want to go the hired killer route which is what a lot of people do uh-huh why is there the evidence pointing to the poisoning the poisoning is the big thing here. Yeah. And a lot of people rock hop over that. What you see here on this murder is there's obviously premeditation here. Yes, there's intent. So so now you got to ask yourself, was this plan A, 
plan B or plan C, et cetera. I think this. Et cetera. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think this right here. Okay. I think she tried to go the easy way and poison him. Yes, she and, did. And there was, you know, that evidence with the, the prussic acid. Right. Yes. Now, now here's another t- thing that people don't realize too far away from the case and all that. Mm-hmm. The family got sick the last meal they ate together. Yes. And what they were saying was, is that she used, um, oh, what the hell was it called? I don't have it written down here. I thought I did, but. Rat poison? No, it was like boric acid or something like that. Oh, yes. Uh, I think I. I think it was boric. Was it boric I acid so. or something like that? Yeah. Because the only one who wasn't sick was her. Even the sister got sick. <laughs> Even the sister wasn't feeling well after she that meal. She was practicing. Yeah. So. I think, I think at that point, you have two kind of strange things leading up to this that don't make sense. She was trying to get the prussic acid. Yes. Then the last meal they had together after that incident of trying to buy it, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, every first off, why is she eating a meal with someone that she never yeah, eats she with? She never eats a ever, meal ever. And I think and then, she wanted to see the mother-in-law eat. The poison. Oh yeah, that no. In and of itself, I think I think she wanted to just watch her die and actually have everybody. I think here's what I think happened. I think she just wanted to do the stepmother. Yeah. I think that's all it was. I don't think she wanted to do anything with the father. Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. I think she just wanted to do the stepmother, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. And and then that morning she had her opportunity after every other thing failing. Right. Yep. And here's the thing. She has this window. The sister's gone. Yep. It's all neat. Yep. It all looks good. Bingo. Done. Now you've got this hour and a half, which is the weirdest part of this whole story. Mm-hmm. She's at the house. The maid's at the house. I think the maid was involved in it. I really do. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know how we were talking about Madame LaLaurie, how the driver yeah. just like helped her. I, you know, I think there was probably that kinship either... Out of one, two things, respect or fear, because mm-hmm. each would hold high cards as being a servant in a household. Yeah. You either have the respect for the person or you have so much fear because yeah, they literally own you. Yeah. There's no other way around it. Mm-hmm. They literally own you. So that's where I think the the servant was definitely in on it to some degree. Mm-hmm. I think dad came home. And that was just a a reaction. Yeah. Just a reaction she to. She probably asked him for something or probably you know, asked him again about. Or probably just cooked up something and he was just like, no, you, you did this, you know, and just like had it. It's yeah. probably, you know, after all the uh, shoplifting and just yeah. the bullshit she won't eat. She never included her in the family. Yep. And that's all he ever wanted. And I mean, it was three years after. Lizzie was born or something like that, or three or four years. I yeah. mean, this woman was in her life a long time. A long time, yeah. And and the father was probably just, you know, again, these are all crazy assumptions because it really yeah. is a circumstantial case. It really is. But the fact is, is that hour and a half window between the mother dying and the father dying mm-hmm. is fucking bizarre. Yeah, it's it is. It's really bizarre. And, and that's where I think she probably... It started out innocent, just doing the poisoning. She's out of our life. 
Yep. I can be the center of attention or whatever. Do whatever it is she wanted you to know, do. You know, do whatever she wants. And then my dad's got to have to, you know, find somebody else or, or I can be the center of attention, whatever. Pick your own, pick your own agenda. And then I think the poison thing didn't work after two attempts. And now you're doing this harsh thing. And she's just like, you know what? I'm going to get the money. And the money thing, I think, like if you saw this today and you saw the person get all the money, you'd be like, well, of course they get it. Just for the money alone. Yeah. $8.3 million in the early part of the 1900s. Oh, yeah. That is a massive amount of money. I think she always intended to take out the mother and the father. Mm-hmm. And the her problem with the father is he was. He'd signed over their house to yeah. not them. And he brought this other woman yeah, yeah. into their into their lives and he she couldn't trust that she and her sister would be enough for him yeah. so she had to get rid of him too otherwise that's the only way she could secure that she would have her hands on that yeah. money and she'd be able to do what she and wants to do and the split between her and her sister yes to me, it just kind of solidifies the whole thing. Yeah. Because those of you that are in families where mm-hmm. you don't speak with your sibling anymore, yeah. it's not a small reason why. No. Your siblings, you come up with more excuses for them than anyone on the goddamn planet. Mm-hmm. And it's just true. Yes. And I know this personally speaking. Because yes. I have siblings that I don't speak to anymore. Right. And it wasn't one thing. No. It wasn't a petty thing of a person or something like that. No. It was this buildup of stuff. Yep. And then finally there was this last straw moment that was big. Yeah. And you're, and you're like, like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. Correct. I just can't do it. Yes. And every sibling that is not talking to another sibling knows this story. Mm-hmm. It's the same story amongst all siblings. And that... For me, you could whitewash all the stuff, but that right there Mm -hmm. where I saw this sister that it was a a ride or die, so to speak. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden just wipe her hands and be like, I want nothing of this and move out of the state. Yep. And move into a different area. Oh, yeah. It just, yeah, I don't. and, And also, again, with her staying, Lizzie staying in Falls River. Yeah. When she wanted to get out of there the whole time. None of this makes sense. It mm-hmm. just doesn't. Mm-hmm. You have this girl that wanted to leave Falls River the entire time. Well, the entire time this stepmother and father were alive, she wanted to leave and be in a better affluent area. Correct. So now after all this shit happens, mm-hmm. she has $8.3 million. And what's the first thing she does? She buys a place to stay there. Yeah. She doesn't move. No. She doesn't get anything out of, you know, and that's where you start mashing all this stuff together and it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and if you have a compelling reason talking to the listeners at this point, right? if you have a really compelling reason and you're sitting there yelling like, well, you haven't thought of this, email us at O-T-H O-T-H at seriouslydecent.com and let us know. Because I would love to know. I'm team 100%. She was just a spoiled, rotten. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, 
I'm not going to say horrible. Well, yeah, she was a no. horrible person. She killed yeah. two people because she wasn't getting her way. Let's be honest. If that is the case. I mean, like I said. Yeah. Either there's just a, a, a very probability, a high probability that if she didn't do this herself, she knew who did. Yes. At the end of the day, she's responsible. Yeah. Either directly or indirectly. Yeah. No, that's and and also if you had if you had a uh, this goes to the angle where she was talking about there might be this guy that's uh gonna attack the father when she spoke to um the neighbor there. Yeah, and she, she was, was just setting up her, Oh no, uh, she's setting up the stage for it. But the whole thing is is why would that person go and kill the stepmother? You know, why, why would that even happen? And here, here again goes the whole thing where would this guy kill, you know, go in there, realize he's not home, kill the stepmother and actually and hide, for him hide in home. the house. And then that's where her story just falls weird because yeah. the dad comes he home. Exist. Well, the dad comes home and Lizzie Borden was in the house apparently, or yeah. no, not in the house, conveniently in the barn, in the barn. So when the mother's getting killed, she's downstairs. Right. When the father's getting killed, she's in the barn. She's in the barn. Yeah. Get it right. It's the stupidest story I've ever heard. Yeah. It really is. Yep. And I mean, sure, you know, people could say, well, they had a lot of money. They had a big house. No, it was a very modest house. It was a house. modest house. Yeah. It wasn't this sprawling compound. Like a mansion with wings. Yeah. And here's the thing. Even if it was a sprawling compound, you wouldn't have one servant. No. This is where, again, like yeah. just stuff doesn't add up. Mm-hmm. And that's a side side story that has nothing to do with it. That drives me nuts where people talk about, you know, how having servants is just terrible. And, you know, th- in the history of, you know, yeah. the back history of America and other countries and time, you know, where all these, you know, these servants and all that stuff. Guess what? If you have a 13 million or plus house, yeah. you have servants. Yes. They're called staff. Yeah. You have an electrician. Yeah. You have a landscaper who yeah. has a crew of usually two or three people. Mm-hmm. You have a housekeeper. Yeah. All of these people have intimate access to your house. Yes. And yeah. and that's where, again, that's a larger home mm-hmm. that would have that. If you have more than one home, you have a property manager, mm-hmm. usually, because they're managing all, all of these the properties. properties you have. Yeah. And this is stuff that hasn't changed. This isn't a new thing. Same no. thing happened then. And, and the fact remains is, is there, you can call them hired help. You can call them staff, which honestly, that's the same thing they were then. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting dynamic that people just seem to evade away from, but to have Mm -hmm. the one servant of the house shows that it's not a very big house. Right. Yes. That's uh, no. yeah. Interesting case. It really is. I, I actually learned a lot more about this than, than I thought. I knew the general deal, right. but but that um, I will say that movie with um, Christina Ricci, yeah, very much seems to follow. Like if you watch that movie, yeah, you're like, yeah, there's there's not a single doubt that. Oh no, it definitely supports it. the argument yeah, that, she, that did she did it. And I mean, and I get it. It again, I said it in the beginning. It is really just surrounded in a whole lot of mystery mm-hmm. with it not being solved. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, you know, on the internet, it's fun reading it. 
it was fun reading just a ton of perspective on this mm -hmm. for guilt and innocence. Yeah. I Some did. of the innocent stuff. Uh, yeah. I did the basic history with her and the court stuff and I knew you were going to do that. And I was like, you know, I'm like, I love these theories mm -hmm. and I want to check some of them out. Most of the theories are that she did it. Yeah. And it's hard to avoid it. Yeah. And like I said, I, if, if there is someone strongly there just pounding their fist on their car dash or, or their desk at work or, or, you know, their partner, which you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, no, that's wrong. However, it, yeah, if you're pounding in fury that this is all wrong and there's innocence here, please send it because I want to know. Yeah. I really want to know because, like I said, the background that I just gave, it's weak at best. Yeah. It's weak at best. Yeah. Even the whole thing of her being this, uh, uh, you know, Sunday school teacher and you know, member of the temperance union and she was mm -hmm. all this stuff through here. Every, everyone had to do that. It yeah. was kind of the acceptance into the community type thing, especially wealthy people. They really yeah. had to do that to show that they're, you know, philanthropists and they're, they're all about the small person. It's know. keeping up appearances. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Meanwhile, However, she's shoplifting. Exactly. And you know, you can't, Mm-hmm. That, mm -hmm. that really just uh, goes against the grain. Fun topic. If you look at her pictures, she has crazy eyes. She's definitely, I wouldn't say full-on resting bitch face, but. It's but unsettling. She's, you know, yeah. But here's the thing. Those old pictures were tough. They really, really were. I know they were, but all right. Here's the thing. Like those pictures, people don't realize you had to hold a pose for a while. For a long time. I, I get that. So around October, the History Channel would do like all of their weird, you know, Halloween, scary related stuff. Yeah. And one of the things that they did was they did a, um, a talk about serial killers. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they were like, you know, you think you could identify yeah. a serial killer like out that. in the wild? And they went through a series of pictures. Mm -hmm. And every picture of the regular person was one of those old yeah. pictures. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of times they did look like the serial killers. I mean, I don't want to brag, but I got every single picture <laughs> right. Don't, don't break. <laughs> you don't have to. But I mean, here's the thing, still. but this is what, this is why I think you're, you're not considering. If a serial killer gets caught, that's it. They know it's over. Yes. So that mugshot. Yes. Is defining to them. It is. That's a very, very yes. big thing to them. That mugshot is basically. So you're trying to steal my glory. So. Well, no, what I'm saying is, though, is that, you know, that's a very big, it's a very big, it's the last big thing they have in their control. Yes. It really is. Yes. After that, they're surrendering all control. Mm -hmm. When they had full control before. Everything. Yeah. Massive control. The old pictures, what's tough about it is, I mean, especially you go in like the, like 1800s through there. Yeah. They had to stand for about a minute. Yeah. To get a decent photo taken. Correct. And a lot of times, and they knew right away because the glass would show. Yep. So 
imagine for a moment you're getting the picture taken. You're standing motionless for a minute. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, ah, that one didn't come out so well. We got to do do it again. Yeah. Or do this different pose. Mm Mm-hmm. Do this different one. If you had somebody that was very vain. Right. Yes. And wanted their picture taken a number of ways. You know pick, who that person is. The person the best that photo. you're doing the selfie with. And they're like, no, delete that. Let's do it again. Yeah. No, delete that one. Yeah. Let's do it again. Don't I, delete that one. Do it again. I have and to be looking the one at the camera. Where they look perfect and everyone else looks yeah. horrible. Yeah. 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 But. Even in the early 1900s, you had the quicker photos, but you still had to stand still. Yeah. I, I I don't believe it was a minute then. This is kind of really stretching my my knowledge. I on get what, it what is. you're saying. So, so you're going to have a weird look is what I'm getting at. You really are going to have a weird look. Like I said, the whole connection with that, I don't know, I just see kind of little flaws in there because like i said the mugshot of a serial killer that's not just them going cheese that's no, not you it's know. not but i mean here's the thing and they're probably pissed there that they are got other people getting their photos taken at the same time mm-hmm. in the same year yeah and they don't look disturbing they don't look like that like they just look like yeah they posed for a photo yeah she just looks odd to me. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. But, you know, Jim Brewer looks odd. Look at how nice what a guy he is. What are you talking about, man? Yeah, yeah. All right. I think we beat that horse. Uh, I think we did. I think we beat that horse dead with a hatchet. Oh. Yeah? Yeah. So what do we got next? Well, we've been on a uh, pretty heavy run here for a well, while we've been so we've been on the dark end and I, i'm very excited to what's lighten up. it up a little bit yeah and then we'll dive right back into the hard and yeah a little bit hard yeah. and fast stuff yeah. uh we are doing fairies fairies or the fae folk i am very very excited i've already started yeah my uh, so have i yeah I'm, uh, I'm super excited too so so what our plan is and it's a lot like with demons. We're going to stay very high level. Yes. On fairies. And for you fairy fiends out there, we are, this is opening the door. The door for to the where deep we dives. We are going to do the deep dives on yes. specific fairies. Yes. Specific time periods yes. of fairies. Yes. We have a lot of plans for fairies. We do. And we have a lot of plans for demons too, if you're into that, but we needed a bit of a break from that. Yeah. Yeah, we did. So I also have a couple uh, things up my sleeve for our fairy episode. Good. I'm going to break out my fairy oracle cards. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. And I will share, um, I can't share all of my fairies because there's no. a lot but i will share um on the facebook group a picture of yeah my fairies yeah got some cool ones i do i really do i will admit so till then thanks for listening yes we appreciate uh we appreciate your support we've noticed new members coming uh, aboard welcome aboard welcome and uh, we uh, we hope you enjoy your stay with us. Sure do. 
And again, we can always uh, beg and plead if you do know of someone who would be that interested you think in would this, like this. Yeah. To uh, turn them on to us, we'd really appreciate it. Yes. Uh, we are our podcast host. I don't think Jen knows this yet. Our podcast host is upgrading uh, to a new version in the near future. And that will enable us possibly to consider the idea of ads. Oh. Not sure yet. Right. I have to check it all out. It's okay. dynamic ads, so I don't know if I want to okay. get into that. Fair but, enough. But we, uh, I know we promised that we were going to do a year. And I think we'll probably at the end still hold true to that. Yeah. We have some ideas on monetization, some creative ideas that other podcasts aren't really doing. Right. So we just have to check the ins and outs of it and see how that'll work tax-wise and all those boring business things that, that you guys don't care that about. you guys don't, don't care about and nor should you however we really really hope as always that you have a wonderful day we hope you have a wonderful week no ouija boards correct no dolls correct no capes, capes. that's for you edna <laughs> and as always make good choices take care